So this past week, we've been reading in our uh, Bible reading plan, uh, the book of Ruth. And it's, uh, it's a part of this incredible series called The Story that we're going through. And it follows up on the heels of last week's uh, a story about the book of Judges. And we looked at several of the judges, and Deborah and Gideon and Samson. And you'll remember that the period of the judges was a pretty dark period of time and challenging uh, covered several hundreds of years and uh, conflicts. You, know, you saw that cycle last week where uh, it was caused by this nature of Israel not trusting in God and then getting into trouble, crying out for help, backsliding, and then these people uh, being raised up by God called judges. And uh, then this time of peace came. And then things went back to business uh, as usual. Um, it seems like that cycle continues where People aren't trusting in God again. And again, that cycle continues and it happened. But today we examine Ruth, the book of Ruth. It's a, it's a four-chapter gem, a masterpiece, a brilliant work of, of theological art that invites us to reflect on the questions of how God is involved in, in our day-to-day -day lives and hardships even, but moving us and his people toward a place of, of faithfulness and in turn accepting others and then also uh, to redeem others and to belong in community and we see loyalty throughout this four chapter book. So I was at a wedding reception, oh, I don't know, it was a decade ago of a wedding that I officiated and I heard this sentimental country song and it was titled, A Long Line of love. I don't know if you guys have ever heard that. And uh, the couple danced to this song, and it really surprised me. It, it tells of a young man who's getting married, and his sweetheart asks him, can you, do you think we can make it, honey? And he answers, I come from a long line of love. And he talks about his parents' marriage, his grandparents' marriage, and at the end of the, the song, he, he refrains it, Forever, in my heart and in my blood, I come from a long line of love. And today, you're going to see this long line of love that we've, we have because of story and faithfulness of these characters in the book of Ruth. And I'll connect that a little later. See, our story begins with this family of four. Husband, Emelech, his wife, Naomi, their two sons, and like many families today, they were experiencing economic difficulties. The famine had spread throughout the land, and food was scarce. So Emelech and Naomi, they packed up their U-Haul, and they went to Moab, where they heard there was food. And one day, not too long after, Emelech died unexpectedly. And by this time, both sons had met Moabite women, and they married those women. And then the sons died. And you see Naomi just has these extreme challenges in that relatively short span. She's devastated. Opportunities for women in that day, they were practically non-existent. Naomi was left all alone in a foreign country, and all she had were her two daughters-in-law. How could she survive? You see that in that first chapter. And so the only viable option for her was to return to her hometown and hope that there would be a place for her as maybe her relatives taking her in. And so she and her two daughters-in-law, they set out, set, set out for the land of Judea. 
And as these three widows uh, begin to walk, Naomi kind of comes to the conclusion that it would be better for her daughters, daughter-in-laws, to just return and go back. So she encourages them to go back to their house. They were still young. They could find new husbands. They could have security that Naomi couldn't provide for them. And so she loved them, and she wanted to see them happy. So naturally, she kisses them, and she says, go, go. And these women weep together. But Ruth and Oprah, Orpha, sorry, not Oprah, Orpha, (laughs) her daughter-in-laws, they want to stay. And they protest. Naomi knew these women would not be accepted by her relatives in her country. The law was very clear. It says, uh, no Moabite shall enter a household of faith even after 10 generations. So if her mother or, or, or if her daughter-in-laws remain with her, they would never be accepted among her people. So Naomi encourages them, implores them to go to their homeland. She even says this. She told them it's absurd. Do I still have sons in my womb that they may become your husbands, she asks them. And finally, Orpha kisses her and she returns. But here is a passage of scripture. And we hear the words, such beautiful words of Ruth. And they're some of the most famous words in the Old Testament. Let's look at it. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I die. And there I'll be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized it, Ruth was determined to go with her. She stopped urging her. I've seen this scripture presented at weddings and and, and other places too. And it just demonstrates this long line of love, this connectedness that we have to one another, that godly people have to one another. You see, Ruth adopted, adopted Naomi's God. And that's the connection they have. Whether husband, wife, friend, family, we're the body of Christ. And you look at this passage and you know what? That's, that's the commitment we have with each other as well. And it comes from the faith of a foreign woman. See, Ruth is a Moabite. They, Moabites oppressed Israel, the Israelites, for 18 years. They're kind of arch enemies. Yet Ruth says, stays beside her mother regardless of the future and potential hostile challenges. And in that time, uh, their singleness was very, very complicated. It was compounded by several factors. And I thought about this. Not only were they single women, but they were, they were also single widowed women. Not only were they single widowed women, but they were also single widowed women who had no children, especially male heirs who were prized during that time. Not only there were single widowed women who had no children, but they also were poor single widowed women without children. And furthermore, you think about it again, not only poor, widowed, single, without children, they were in a male-dominated culture in which women had no rights to property and no responsibility 
you know, nobody, no men were obligated to have responsibility for them. So they, they represent, I think, things that we can see at times. When we see women that experience these difficulties in our own culture, and I got to thinking about this. I, was, I don't know if you guys know this. I'm, I'm the staff liaison or ambassador for the men of Anderson Hill, and I work with Jeff Spanbauer and our, our leadership team. And, and I think here's the call. Too often in our culture, we tend to forget the need of women in these kinds of circumstances. We do. I think if we're men who represent Christ to the world, we have an obligation to care for folks, care for the widow, for the single mom that's struggling. Did I get get an amen from you guys? Right on, man. I thought about this. Especially these women of character, like Ruth and Naomi. You see, she, Ruth especially, was an amazing woman of unconditional love and loyalty. I read a story uh, preparing for this message that was uh, written about a mom that was taking care of her three-year-old daughter. And her little three-year-old daughter became critically ill, and she had to stay in the hospital for months. And in all those months, her, her mom never let, left her hospital bed. She's a petite woman, she weighed, weighed not even 90 pounds, and the mother, that mother stayed right beside her daughter day and night, never leaving that hospital or bedside. Amazing strength, months, and inspired her family and friends, and eventually the little girl did recover, and once she was home, they finally got to sit down with this young mom and said, they asked her, how did you have the strength to do this? And her mother smiled and said, She's my child. I love her more than breathing. She needed me. She needed me as never before, and I had to do it, and I had to be there for her. That's love. That's deep love. It's, it's not, I love you for what you can do for me, or I'll love you for as long as it is convenient. No, it's I love you no matter what, and I will always be there. And Christians, this is the type of love that we see with Ruth and Naomi. And this love is passed on through that line, long line of love. And it's the deepest depths that that are there that we can grab hold and see that grace of God that is unmerited, that is unconditional. So we don't have to earn it. It doesn't have any strings attached. It expects, it love that, that, that expects nothing in return. And you and I are recipients of that love. And it comes through that wovenness from stories like this in the Bible. That red ribbon extends from our lives all the way back through the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's the lineage of this foreign woman named Ruth. And over the past 2,000 years, folks, just like, folks just like us have believed in that love and they passed that love, love on. And through plagues and famines and, and oftentimes under barbaric oppression, they did not let go of that type of love. And we are recipients and are called to be ambassadors of that type of love. That's the love and loyalty that they have. It's the core of who they are. So one day a relative of Naomi's named Boaz, uh, he notices this foreign woman named Ruth gathering grain in his field. He knows she's the Moabite. She probably had a dead giveaway maybe with the clothing. And 
the only food Naomi and Ruth had to eat was that was that's what was left over from those farmers' fields after the harvest. This system was known as gleaning, and you might have saw that in your reading this past week, that she was gleaning. You see, farmers were not permitted to go over their fields a second time to collect the grain. Whatever was left were for people like this that had need, widows and the poor. So you see Boaz, he's he's this man of noble character, and he's in this story too. He's in this lineage of love. And he inquires more, uh, inquires about Ruth and her story. And he learns about her love for Naomi. And he, in turn, shows remarkable generosity and makes special provisions for Ruth, this immigrant. He makes sure that she can gather grain in his field. And in doing so, Boaz is actually obeying this explicit command to show generosity to the immigrant. So in the background, there's this really cool scripture or chapter that is operational. It's behind the scenes in Leviticus uh, 25. If you read uh, your Bible reading plan, you, you read passages from this. And Leviticus 25 reminds me that Boaz is putting this great emphasis on helping the poor, the helpless, the orphan, the immigrant, the widow, the handicapped. The poor were helped without charging interest, and individuals and families were responsible for the poor since there was no government aid. And so Boaz knew this, and he being a godly man, he was obedient especially to chapters like this. For example, Leviticus 25, 35 says, if one of your brothers, brothers becomes indigent, he cannot support himself, help him. The same as you would a foreigner or a guest so that he can continue to live in your neighborhood. So Boaz, we see that he was devout to God and obedient to him, and we see his character. I love what he says in Ruth 2, 8 through 12. It says, so Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter... Listen to me. Don't glean from another field. Don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work with me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get water from the jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. And she asked him, why have I found much favor in your eyes? that you notice me a foreigner. Boaz replies, I've been told about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother in your homeland and you came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You know, woven in this four-chapter gem of a book is acceptance and belonging. Ruth and Boaz, we see that they are ambassadors of that. We all have a deep need for that, don't we? Acceptance and belonging. I don't know if you've ever moved. I, I, I counted after our last move. I have moved 22 times in my life. <laughs> Seriously. And I remember one time, especially in fifth grade, oh my gosh, it was so tough to break through those barriers of being a new kid in town. <laughs> and acceptance and belongings at the core of what we, we are looking for as well. We have that deep sense. I, I thought about the anonyms 
of, of, for the words acceptance and belonging. And you, you get some horrible words from, from these two words. Excluded, disapproval, disregard, shunned, to look down upon. And so as representers of Christ, we are to be ambassadors of this type of acceptance and belonging wherever or whatever stage in life we are in. The people you encounter are placed upon your path. They have a deep need of acceptance and belonging. The people who walk through the door of this church, uh, they are asking themselves, themselves, are there people here who will accept me? Will I belong here? And if we're protecting our pew or our chair, it's going to be very difficult. Our guests on Sunday morning are coming here for the very first time, and they are taking a huge risk. They're taking a huge step to come through the doors of this church, my friends. But we're ambassadors of acceptance and belonging, and we need love on them. I'm not saying, come here, you're new. Oh, I love you. No, just welcome them with love and the love of Christ. I remember Zan Holmes told a story about his family reunion down in Dallas, Texas. And he said his uh, little seven-year-old nephew was hanging out with him. And Zan said they'd have 40 relatives at this annual family reunion. And they'd be out in the yard on the corner block. And Zan was taking pictures of the groups of everybody in 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 the family reunion time. And then he finally announced, he goes, all right. Now I want everybody in this next photo. Well, his seven-year-old nephew's eyes went wide. He goes, Uncle Zan, you mean everybody? And Zan goes, yeah, everybody. He said his seven-year-old nephew took off running down the street, knocking on everybody's door. Hey, everybody, come on. My uncle wants to get a picture of everybody. And, and Zan's like chasing after him. And, and Zan goes, he was confused. He goes, no, 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 just my family. Just, just my family. Just our family. And he was like, Uncle Sam, you said everybody. No, just our family. You know, who do we mean when we say everybody? You know, think about it in each stage of life, especially youth. Who do you know? That acceptance, that belonging. Church. We're ambassadors of this. See, Ruth found acceptance in Boaz. She was not from that country. You see her challenges. She was a foreigner. She was from a country that was at odds with Judea. Ruth risked being rejected as a Moabite, but instead she found acceptance by this man. Not for where she was from, but from her character her dreams, her desires. I don't know if you've ever tried to be a part of a group. I don't know if you've ever been experienced that type of rejection. I remember those moments in life. Pretty bad stuff would happen, especially when I was a kid. I remember trying to make the basketball team. And in Indiana, that's tough. <laughs> and you have that list. It's taped up on the locker room door, and you scroll down there, and you don't see John Coleman. Jonathan Coleman. It's a rejection. It seems like immigrants are, are really being rejected too. We need to love on them. I love how Mark Putman, he put it in his sermon. I stole something out of his sermon. <laughs> he 
just said it, it seems more and more that we hear about American citizens are being told to go back where they came from. And he, he, he heard this story of this young American woman who lives in Hamilton, Ohio. And she's, he said that she's, she's either the second or third generation in a Hispanic family. She was born here. She was college educated. She's fully American in every way, her language, her accent, her culture. And, but, of course, you can't change the way you look. Her appearance still looks Hispanic. And she was walking out of a post office door in Hamilton, and a man approached her from the other direction. He said, I wish you people would just go back where you came from. And she was startled. She didn't respond. And the man said it again. I wish you people would just go back where you came from. She turned around to see who he was talking to. And amazingly enough, she couldn't believe it when nobody was there. He was talking to her. I can't believe that. We have to be representatives of this acceptance and belonging especially to, to the foreigner. and, and We don't know their situation. We don't know their plight. It could be like Ruth, Naomi, Orpha. When Ruth got home to Naomi, she told him all of what Boaz did and how he allowed her to glean from his field. And so chapter 3 starts to get, the beauty starts coming apart, coming apart and un, unwinding and spreading out. And, and Naomi and Ruth are getting excited. And they're striving to maybe get Ruth noticed by Boaz even more. And being more deeply accepted and belonging. And so the plan is Ruth's going to stop wearing her grieving widow clothes. And she's going to show signs that she's available to be married. And so Ruth... And if you read that in there, she goes out, and everybody's camped out on the field because they don't want you know, people coming in and stealing the grain. She lays at his feet, and he's totally startled. But he knows her intentions are really clear. He sees this faith of a foreign woman, and he knows her reputation. He knows her beauty inside and out. And he finally decides to redeem her family. So we see that, and he calls her a woman of noble character, which is the same Hebrew word that is used in Proverbs 31, and he likes her a lot. <laughs> and what does he do? The first thing is he goes the next morning to the city gate because he knows everything in his mind that he has to do. This is where all the important business takes place. He calls some of the other townspeople together to act as witnesses, and then he sees the man who is the nearest relative to her. And so he explains that Naomi is selling this piece of property that they had, had belonged to Amalek, Amalek. And since there's no immediate male left in her family, and women cannot own property, this man is the nearest kinsman redeemer that has the right to purchase all the property of that relative. But he also must take responsibility for the dead man's widow. And upon learning this, this man declines. He doesn't want to endanger his own inheritance. And out of this, this lineup, Boaz is now, now becomes the first kinsman redeemer. And he announces to all the witnesses that are still gathered that he will buy the property from Naomi and he'll take Ruth as his wife. You see how God's working in this? You see how God is, is really surrounding these people with, that are of incredible character who are followers of him. And all these townspeople are happy, and they wish the new couple all the best. And so this celebration happens. Look at Ruth 4, 9 through 12. You see it here. 
Today, your witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property. You can read through this. And you see it. I'm going to take her as my wife, this widow. And through the offspring, the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez and whom Tabor bore to Judea. You see, Boaz becomes Naomi and Ruth's kingsman redeemer. And the kingsman redeemer was a male relative who volunteered to take responsibility for the extended family when a woman's husband died. Okay, I got to get some of this water. All found in Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10 said, if your husband dies, the brother of the dead man married widow and provided for her and raised up every child to carry on his brother's lineage. And since both Naomi's sons had died and there was no brother left to marry Ruth, the law said that the duty went to the next closest relative. And so in Ruth 4, 13 through 17, here's the victory. I'm going to let you read it. (laughs) Comes his wife. The Lord enables her to conceive, bear a son. And then you keep going through 15. He will renew your life, sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better than you. And out of seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. And the women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obadid, father of Jesse, the father of David. You see the lineage, this, this line goes all the way back And it shows us that Jesus Christ is our kinsman redeemer. You see, after the wedding, Ruth bore that son in Bethlehem. And this father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David, and eventually you'll see another ancestry of another baby born in Bethlehem. Years later, and his name is Jesus Christ. And the lineage of Jesus comes from a foreign person, a Moabite. She's there because of her loyalty and her mother-in-law. And you see why I'm saying that Jesus came from this long lineage lineage of love. And so do we. That's the heart of this message. That's the kind of love, that's the kind of love of what the cross is about. It's the love that never quits, that never fails. It's agape love. It's the heart of the love of God. It's not, I love you for what you can do for me, or I'll love you as long as it's convenient. No. You and I are recipients of that love, and it comes from people like this. Over the past 2,000 years, folks have believed this, and they've imparted it upon us. And so that's who we are. We were once foreigners, but we've been brought near and accepted by Jesus Christ. I know that. I remember coming to church here when I was 19 years old, and I didn't have a stitch of, of, of clothing that was nice. I didn't. And I remember Karen Schindler, my mother-in-law, she went to Macy's, or it was back then it was Lazarus, and she bought me a pair of slacks, an Oxford, and a tie, because we didn't have this kind of service at that time. <laughs> I had to walk over in the sanctuary. But that lineage and line of love came through this church. People represented Christ to me. That's who we are. This kind of acceptance and belonging comes from us. It can never fray. It shouldn't. It can never break. 
And so what does the Lord require of us? We have to remember that we are ambassadors of this acceptance, this loyalty, and this belonging. We are people that have been redeemed. We are people that have been lifted up and called. And we assist God in this incredible redemption work, my friends. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I just want to thank you for uh, <laughs> helping me to get through this sermon. But even in the weakness of that, God, we see the power of your love. Your love reaches us. And it comes from the lineage of people like this. And that lineage goes through the cross. Lord, may we be people, the character like these people. This world needs it. They need ambassadors such as this. So have your way. Invade our lives in a powerful, profound way. We love you, and we give thanks for the faith of this foreign woman. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.